Luke 24, 36 through 49. So while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? He, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that it is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what was written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Man, y'all look so sharp today. Didn't Pastor Tom look so good in his Easter suit? I almost said birthday suit. <laughs> that would have been a problem. <laughs> We're pretty casual around here. Aaron saw me in my office. I wasn't wearing the jeans that I normally wear. And he was busting my chops. He's all, ooh, you're dressing it up with the khakis. Well, these are my Easter pants, all right? I wear them on Easter. Well, I think it's worth it to say again, he is risen. Amen, amen. You know, I guess you could say that Easter is Christianity's biggest day, right? It's a day of, of celebration, celebrating Jesus' resurrection and our redemption. But here's the deal. We can only truly celebrate if we've been willing to wrestle with our doubts. And here's why. We can only we can only celebrate if we've been willing to wrestle with our doubts because Christianity is nothing but the most insane, deceitful, malicious, manipulative, evil, sick joke of all time if it isn't true. You ever think about that? We need to because truth will crush your doubts or your doubts will crush you. You will either live with deep joy in awe of God's power, or you'll live with deep hopelessness knowing that this broken world is all there is. Well, Jesus Christ came to know you and to be known by you. And, and he came to us to renew you and to renew your life and to renew the world, and that is why we celebrate Easter. And I thank God for the doubt-crushing, joy-filling, life-changing good news of the risen Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he wants to bless you with a new heart and with a new life. You know, as I was preparing, you know, I read various authors when I prepare and commentaries, and, and one Christian author, Tim, Tim Keller, pointed out four things about the passage that we just read about the risen Jesus and what he does 
to change the lives of his disciples forever. And because he is the risen Jesus, he does the exact same thing for you today. And the first thing, if you're taking notes using the handout in your bulletin, the first thing we see is that Jesus answers the doubts of the disciples' minds by arguing with them. This is an act of love. Look at verse 38. He says to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And in verse 41 says that, that they did not believe. And so he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, what we see Jesus doing here is he's arguing with them because he wants to make sure that they get this. I really am raised from the dead. Not just spiritually, but physically, historically, positively, absolutely, undeniably, and reliably risen from the dead. Jesus is hammering this because if Jesus doesn't deal with our doubts about the resurrection, you and I will never, we will never see the difference that he makes in our lives today. Now, I don't care who you are. We have a hard time with this resurrection idea, right? For a lot of people, it's just easier to believe that, that this was all made up by a bunch of power-hungry liars. But here's the thing. If you're going to make up a story about a resurrected king of the universe, you wouldn't write it like this to get a following. The last time Jesus, um, last time his disciples saw him, he was killed on a cross and buried. And then Jesus just kind of shows up and says, do you have anything to eat? Now that's the first question I would ask. So when it comes to this, I'm just like Jesus, right? But this is the risen king of the universe. And in verse 42, it says, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. Wow, amazing. No one would write this stuff, you know, unless it happened. You know, our natural reaction is, you know, back then those people, they were primitive. Of course they believed this stuff, but we're smarter today. But that's not what we see here. When Jesus shows up, do they say, Jesus, we knew you could do it. What took you so long? No, that's not what they said. What does it say? It says, they were startled and frightened. And Jesus says, it really is me. Look at me. Touch me. But they still did not believe, it says. They are just like us today. They didn't believe that this was possible. Now, you know, when you read the scripture's authors, it's, it's like they're saying now, I know this doesn't seem to be possible. I mean, we felt the same way. And the only reason that we are telling you this is because it happened. And we saw him and we touched him and we talked with him. And the Apostle John in his, his first letter, listen, listen to this. He's, he's just urging you to, to us to believe this. He says, he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have, have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, who is Jesus. And that life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy together complete. In other words, the apostle John is saying, you know what? You can call us liars if you want or you can believe us. But don't explain what we say away or dismiss it all as symbolic stories. Your only options is, is to, to call us liars or to believe it. And so my challenge for all of us this morning today is this. Let Jesus argue with you. Because if we don't believe the resurrection happened or that it has anything to do with our lives here and now, then you will never ever see the difference that Jesus makes in your life. I want to encourage you, if you have doubts, to feel free to doubt your doubts. Doubts don't have to, you know, quash our, our faith. You have the freedom to doubt your doubts, and I encourage you to do that this morning. So, Jesus answers their doubts by arguing with them. Second, Jesus satisfies the needs of their hearts by eating with them. Jesus eats with them to prove that he's still alive and, and, and well, but it's more than that. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And we read that and we think, okay, of all the things that, you, that you're going to do, that you could do, you're, you're going to eat? Again, I'm all about that, right? But what's he really getting at here? Well, eating together was a way of connecting and being together in close friendship. That's what it's all about. How many of you have had someone close to you die? Someone close to you who passed away. Yeah, most of us have. And here's the thing. You can look at their pictures. You can read their notes. You can keep their bedroom just the way it's always been. And you do it to help you remember them, right? But at the same time, it makes your heart ache. Because you want them to be with you. Jesus says, I was dead, but not anymore. It's 2019, and I am with you right now. It is not just some fleeting sentimentality. You know, maybe, maybe you've been looking for a, a special someone to be with you and love you and, and, and make everything in your life okay. But you got to know there's nobody uh, on the planet there's not a single human being who can possibly bear the weight of those expectations, except for one. Jesus says, I am with you. You don't have to hope. You don't have to dream about a perfect relationship. I am with you. 
Yes, amen. You ever wonder? You ever wonder why we don't know where Jesus' tomb is? No one really knows. I mean, the tourists over there will say, it might be this one, it might be this one over there, but nobody really knows. How do you lose Jesus' tomb? You look at all of the other spiritual leaders who get a following, and when they do, what do their followers do? They make a shrine. They make a shrine at their tomb. When someone dies, their room matters. Their, their shirts matter. Their socks matter. Their gravestone matters. Because you don't have that person with you anymore. No one knows where Jesus' tomb is because it didn't matter. The one they longed for, the one that they needed, the one that they loved was with them. You see, the resurrection means that, that you can have that closeness that you need. In fact, your relationship with Jesus is what allows you to enjoy other relationships because Jesus alone satisfies the needs of your heart and that frees you to just love people and not use them for what they might be able to do for you. Do you see that? You see how that works? So Jesus satisfies the needs of their heart by eating with them. Third, Jesus redirects their lives by sending them out. We see that in the end when he told them in verse um, 46, I think that's 46, I forgot my glasses. Oh wait, I don't have glasses yet. My wife's trying to fix that. Let's see, verse 46, yeah, 46. He, he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. Now that word witnesses is loaded. It means proclaiming the truth, and not just with your mouth, but with your life, in every area of your life. He is saying, Jesus is saying, this, this resurrection deal this, that just happened, this is just the beginning. Through the resurrecting, life-giving power of the gospel, God is renewing the world of its brokenness and of death. That is the hope that we have. And when you know it, it gives you life. And let me show you how it'll change your life. To the extent that you have a functional belief in the resurrection, you will be free from this world. Okay? Meaning, you don't have to be controlled by this world. Usually, we're consumed with having this experience or that experience because we have this fear of missing out, right? If things don't work out like we hoped, we get bummed out, we feel empty. And if it does work out, it's only a matter of time before we're empty again. I am telling you, and you all know it, that discontent and regret is always just right around the corner. But what if the resurrection were true and you know it? Now, who here has heard of Joni Erickson Tata? Some of you have, a few of you have. Many years ago when she was 18, she was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident and she was sentenced to a wheelchair for life. 
And after a few years, she went to a large Christian meeting where the speaker said, let's all kneel before the Lord in prayer. And everyone did, but she couldn't. That used to be a regular part of her worship. And she realized, I will never be able to kneel before God in prayer again. And so she broke down in tears. And in one of her books, she writes this. And then I remembered the resurrection. Just before the party gets going, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on my resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees, kneel quietly before the feet of Jesus. And then I'm going to be on my feet dancing. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone with a spinal injury like mine? Can you imagine the hope this gives even someone who is manic depressive? No other religion promises new bodies, a new material universe. Only in the gospel of Christ do people hurting like me find such enormous hope to live. That is the hope of the gospel. And you know what this means? This means that you're not going to float into the kingdom of God. This means that you, in a very real way, you will experience a new heavens and a new earth where everything is the way that it should be. And you will eat and you will drink and you will sing and you will dance and you will run in new heavens, a new earth, new bodies. And do you know what that means? It means that you can rest today. You can, you can relax. You might think, you know what? I am never going to be able to live life to the fullest. Yes, you will. You might think, I, I, I'm never going to get what I need. Yes, you will. Or you might think, I need to get while the getting's good. No, you don't. You can rest. See, whatever your circumstances are, you're not going to miss out on anything. One day you will be with Jesus in glory. You will eat and drink with him, and it will be more real to you than your life now. With everything that is wrong in your life right now, you can rest. You can be content. You can live. You are free the material things in this world and the experiences that you long for or think that you need don't have to control you anymore. You are free. At the same time, while you're free from the world, at the same time, you'll be free for the world. The resurrection means that Christian salvation is not just getting a get-out-of-hell-free card. Salvation is not just escaping this world and going to heaven. Christian salvation is heaven coming down into this broken world to restore it, to get rid of hunger and sickness and disease and injustice and terrorism. Did you read the news? Sri Lanka? All of the explosions and hundreds dead in Christian churches celebrating Easter and in large hotels? Jesus is the only one who can give us a hope that one day he's going to take everything wrong in the world and make it right and advance shalom and bring peace on earth. 
What do you have? What other hope could you possibly have? None. Maybe just don't think about it. That's all you're left with, is try not to think about it. So, Christian salvation is heaven coming into this world to restore it, to get rid of everything broken and renew it all. And here's the thing, church. God has decided to do that through you. Through you. <laughs> that's, how, that's his plan. I don't know why he chose to use us, but he chose to use us. He chose to use you, to work in and through you, to advance shalom, to advance peace, the kingdom of God's grace. So my encouragement to you this morning is this. You are, the gospel sets you free, the resurrection sets you free to go repair a person's need, to go repair a person's body, to go repair a person's neighborhood, because God is redeeming his people and his earth, and he sends you out to prepare the world with great hope that is motivated by his love and his gospel truth and his grace. The resurrection frees you and gives you poise and peace in this broken world. It frees you to engage, not hide from the world, but to engage the world with the love and truth of Jesus, both in word and deed. Jesus is saying, now that you've witnessed the resurrection, I send you out into the world to live completely different lives for me and for others. Do you see that Jesus changes the direction of your lives? Gives you a whole new purpose? You're not just grasping after good experiences or comfort or whatever. And then finally last, Jesus doesn't just deal with our minds, hearts, and lives. Jesus deals with our sorrows. Last thing I'll share with you. Jesus shows his disciples his hands and feet to give them profound joy. A profound joy that's not dependent on their circumstances. In verse 40, it says, Jesus, Jesus showed his disciples his hands and his feet. And do you see what their response is? Joy and amazement. When they saw his hands and feet, their response was joy and amazement. Now, why didn't Jesus say, look at my eyes? Or why didn't he say, look at my face, it's me? Why did he say, look at my hands and my feet? Why was that what gave them joy and amazement? And what were on his hands and feet? Why, why would the nail prints still be there? Well, I think we can answer that best by asking another question, which is, what are the best stories of all time? When they live happily ever after, you know, things go from bad to horrible, horrible, and then suddenly, bam, good happens. Yay, it all worked out just in time. They're saved. It's a good story, but there's a better kind of story where the bad things that happen are part of the deliverance Many of you know who M. Night Shyamalan is. He's made movies like Glass, Unbroken, The Sixth Sense. Some of his movies were better than others. 
17 years ago, he made a movie called Signs. And in the movie, the guy's wife is killed by a ter- in a terrible accident. His brother's career in baseball is ruined. His little boy has terrible asthma and is always on the verge of dying. His little girl is obsessive-compulsive, and so every time she takes a drink of water, she doesn't like it and leaves these glasses all over the house. And on top of all that, aliens invade the world. You guys remember that? You got, have you seen that movie? Yeah. Everything gets worse and worse, and, and everyone's losing their faith, and it looks like absolute disaster will be the end, but then suddenly at the end, joy just hits you right in the gut. Not because there's a, 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 a deliverance despite the bad things, but because every single one of those horrible things were actually part of the deliverance. The joy explains why the bad things happened. The joy redeems the brokenness and the bad things. The bad things actually made the joy possible and greater. Those are the best stories. Why does Jesus show his disciples the nail scars? Well, three days before this, the disciples were thinking, you know, when Jesus is president, we'll be riding his coattails. But then Jesus gets nailed to the cross. And when those nails went into the hands and feet of Jesus, their lives and their hopes and their dreams were ruined. Right? Well, Jesus says, no. These scars saved your life. What you thought was ruining your life saved your life. When I was nailed to the cross, I was taking your punishment. I was taking your judgment. I was taking your separation from God so that you can have fellowship with God and have life. So you can be united with him. So that you can rest. And now my resurrection guarantees that my death accomplished its purpose. This is redemption. See, at the moment you put your faith and trust in the risen Jesus, you are restored to a right relationship with Jesus. With God, our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that means that he is with you. This is how salvation works. The resurrection, joy, and power of God will not just make you forget about the horrible things in your life or simply outweigh the horrible things in your life. You know, the resurrection, joy, and power of God will include the horrible things in your life and explain the horrible things in your life and redeem the horrible things in your life. And one day your joy will be greater because of the horrible things that happened in your life. That is the power of the resurrection. Finally, in verse 45, it says, Then he opened their minds so they can understand the Scriptures. This is what Jesus does for you. This is why we have hope. And if Jesus does this for you, if you believe this, he comes into your life with resurrection power and redemption. And this joy becomes your reality. 
Your joy is in Jesus himself now and forever, no matter how bad life in this broken world gets. So, I end with this question. Have you met the risen Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in the risen Jesus? Do you know that he is with you this morning? And if not yet, I urge you to put your faith in him today, this morning. Ask him. The rest of us have had to do this. Ask him to forgive your sin, to acknowledge your sin, to show you your sin, and ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to come into your life, and he will. And no matter what the world throws at you, he will be with you. And one day, he's going to wipe away every tear from your eyes as you stand in the presence of your King and Savior, and you will be filled with unimaginable joy for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?